This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. One-timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! And everything from the state of hockey. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Episode 61, the Huskies Warming House podcast uh, presents our weekly podcast here. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host and Nick Maxson uh, on a very groggy Sunday morning for both of us. We'll get into that a little bit later, but we've got a lot of great topics to get to. A very, very short Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, only four topics in that one today. And then we're going to talk about a plan that we have for the next roughly 10 weeks or so or so for the show uh, regarding the men's hockey team and what we're going to be looking forward to as far as they're concerned. We're going to talk about the Minnesota Wild, predicting the upcoming week of the playoffs, and review our bracket guesses that we had with about a month left to go in the season to see how close we actually were in the standings. Then we're going to talk about who we think you know the conference final and Stanley Cup opponents are going to be, who's going to win it all. And then we're going to finish off with an interesting extra ice session that involves both the Buffalo Sabres and the Minnesota Wild. You won't want to miss it. And we'll start this week's show with the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View news and notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. The NHL playoffs just began yesterday here on May 15th. There was only one game and a little bit of a St. Cloud connection here. You know, the Washington Capitals beat the Boston Bruins in game one of that series 3-2 in overtime. And it was St. Cloud State alumni Nick Dowd on a redirect that uh, secured that first win. Now, the hometown Minnesota Wild will get underway this afternoon, 2 o'clock Central, uh, against uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Games 2, 3, and 4 will also be this week, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, respectively. The winner of the series will get the winner of St. Louis and Colorado. Avalanche fresh off winning the President's Trophy from the most regular season wins in the NHL last week. Now, the, speaking of the league, the NHL will not hand out conference championship trophies this season due to the divisional realignments, um, especially with the, uh, the border closing in Canada. Um, now, the league does hope that the playoffs create a little bit more buzz for the fans as the NHL lost over $3.6 billion, yes, with a B, uh, in revenue due to lack of ticket revenue for the league. Um, on television, though, this will also be the last year NBC Sports will cover the NHL as a national carrier before moving uh, to the new contract with Turner Sports and ESPN, who was recently signed earlier this spring. And they have also recently, as far as ESPN is concerned, hired former NHLers Ray Ferraro and Brian Boucher. Again, Ray Ferraro with TSN currently up in Canada and Brian Boucher with NBC as well. 
the NHL offseason is already in full swing for many teams as well, Nick. And this past week brought no shortage of personnel changes. In Columbus, head coach John Tortorella decided not to return behind the bench for a seventh season, finishing with 227 wins and 166 losses uh, with four playoff bursts. Arizona parted ways with bench boss Rick Tockett after four seasons. The Coyotes only made one playoff appearance in that time, but they did win their first round series. That was the qualifying round of last year's run. The New York Rangers continued to experience turmoil as head coach David Quinn and three assistant coaches were axed on Wednesday. Finishing 15th in overall league standings, Quinn had two seasons left on his contract. The Rangers did ink defenseman Ryan Lindgren to a three-year $9 million extension. Ottawa extended rearguard Artem Zub for two years. Chicago inked former Denver pioneer Henrik Borgstrom to a two-year contract. Borgstrom was a former Denver University standout. He had 95 points in 77 games with the Pioneers. Moving into other transactional news, the Seattle Kraken added their first ever player in franchise history last week, nabbing QMJHL center and forward Luke Henman to an entry-level deal. And lastly, the Minnesota Wild got some good news as 2020 first round draft selection Marco Rossi has finally been cleared to resume skating and off ice training following his six month COVID scare. Very good news uh, for Rossi. And I believe, Noah, if I'm correct, uh, he, we should be actually returning to Minnesota here uh, pretty shortly, if I remember correctly. They also just do some follow-up testing as well. So good to see him uh, getting back in the fold. Uh, and speaking of the NHL, one iconic American-born NHL has played his last NHL game, uh, suiting up against his final concert against Minnesota Anaheim Ducks netminder Ryan Miller uh, has announced that he will retire at the age of 40, uh, who got a standing ovation uh, from the Wild Faithful, as well as handshakes from just about every Wild player when he uh, lost 4-3 to in overtime. Uh, he did finish his career as the winningest American goaltender in NHL history with 391 victories and 796 games. Uh, Miller did win the Vesna Trophy in 2010 while playing with the Buffalo Sabres, and he also backed up Team USA to a silver medal in arguably one of the best gold medal games in Winter Olympics history, I think, uh, at least in my opinion, Noah. Uh, his 18-year career ends with 391, 289, and 96 overall record, a 2.64 goals against average, and a 914 save percentage. To round off this week's weekly roundup, another milestone has been hit by one of the greatest hockey players ever, but this time it was off the ice. Haley Wickenheiser, who was the first woman to play full-time pro hockey at a position other than goalie, a 23-year Team Canada veteran and four-time Olympic gold medalist with 18 total international medals. Not a bad resume, Nick. Uh, she's also added another notch there. She's completed medical school. The announcement, which came Saturday, means that the most iconic women's player in history is now also a doctor. While completing her three-year med school program, she also served as the Toronto Maple Leafs Assistant Director of Player Development during that time. Wickenheiser was elected in her first year of eligibility to the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2019. And once again, welcome back to episode number 61 of the Huskies Warming House podcast. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host and Nick Maxson. Nick, uh, it's been a tough morning <laughs> for both of us. It's been, it's, it's been a groggy one. Uh, how have you been doing on this? What are we? May 16th? May 16th at 923 in the morning. <laughs> 
Not bad. Uh, I think finally, uh, especially I think uh, Minnesota residents are finally, uh, you know, singing some praises. It sounds like the uh, more spring-like weather has finally arrived and more importantly, it's going to stay that way. It looks like it was the fishing opener this weekend and a lot of folks trying to get the boats on the water, get out there, put a fishing line in the water. Unfortunately, did not have any free time to do so, but busy with some other things. Um, um, I know my my uh, my significant other hasn't heard this news yet, so this is uh, this is silent. Uh, I did a vehicle trade-in, which has been interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, really wasn't planning on it, at least initially, but then when I had a couple conversations with some folks, uh, especially with uh, some things that will hopefully be happening in 13 months from now, um, it made sense, especially also with the uh, the age of the vehicle getting up. So uh, we're up now up to a different vehicle, and it was uh, kind of weird. Because uh, the last two times I, I had to get a new vehicle, they were both crunched in automobile accidents. So uh, just kind of traded in because it's getting older without really anything super wrong with it. Was uh, It was a different experience, though, so it felt kind of weird. Yeah, well, congratulations. I don't have that kind of money nor, nor vehicular awesomeness. Although I did spend this past weekend uh, taking a look at different engines and stuff, um, helping kind of restructure some engines and that sort of thing, learning more about engines and learning more about how they work. I don't, this might be kind of weird. I've been really getting into of all sports lately, formula one racing. Isn't that an odd, odd thing for, I'd say probably any American, but specifically a Midwestern American to really start to <laughs> kind of take an interest in. I mean, I don't I, think so. It's a lot more intricate and complex than I think people give it credit for. Um, and obviously it's hard, I think, for American viewers to get into it simply because it's more of a European based circuit, if, if you will. So, I mean, but no, I, I, I found that pretty, pretty interesting. Well, you know, and you're right. The Formula One circuit, again, you know, people look at just a car going around a track. And you don't understand how, you know, the engineering that's behind it, the, the endurance of a driver um, and how quite literally one, you know, maybe couple of inches can make or break a win versus the second place finish. Um, it, it's, it's quite the marathon. And again, like you said, the just the coverage that um, it gets over in Europe versus it, essentially like there's a couple of circuits in here. I think Miami, I think maybe one in either San Diego, Los Angeles. But beyond that, there really isn't any exposure to the sport. And not only that, but, you know, there's, it's willing to to cover the race. No, but it's another thing also to, you know, have those behind the scene things, you know, that really yeah. do kind of taking a deep dive and not only about the racer themselves, but the team behind them. Um, you know, I, I don't think you get a full picture and, and a true appreciation for any sport. I mean, let's even look at hockey. Um, the Herbert's national hockey center, uh, just actually recently upgraded uh, the skate sharpener. Um, so brand new equipment up there and, you know, it, it sounds small, Right. Sounds well, but think about, you know, when you have that type of equipment there that you can guarantee the perfect uh, edge for all your players. If you're going out there and it's not working correctly, you guys can't skate. I mean, it's kind of important. Things can happen. <laughs> it sounds it sounds overblown, but it really does make, you know, you, you I think you take it for granted how some of those small things can have a, such a big impact on the sport. Yeah, it, it's kind of crazy. I mean, like I was watching a video, Formula One, if you ever go on YouTube, Formula One themselves and a lot of like kind of main, you know, like hockey has main people that cover that are kind of the big dogs as far as, so like for baseball, like John Boy Media would be a great example of like someone who covers baseball really well. Um, Formula One, their own account, plus kind of the big dogs in there do a great job for new fans of kind of getting them up to speed about how things work. Um, I mean, like I was watching a video on why the tires are colored the way they are and what it means um, from race to race and that sort of thing. So that was kind of cool. Um, the other thing, you know, I, I, I also thought about this last week and I'm actually glad that you brought it up. 
So I started my new job last week um, and it's going all right. It's, it's not overwhelming, but it's just, it's a lot to take in. So, you know, kind of taking it one step at a time. Um, and then I went up to, we got pizza last night and that is a local pizza place. that I think must be a bunch of high school kids that like work there in the summer. So they were learning how to do like the till and stuff like that for the first time, which was the first time I had done the till at my new job last week. And I was thinking about how, like, even if you go to like, I mean, I'm not a big Starbucks fan, but like, if you go to Starbucks or you go to like all these places or like a hardware store, that sort of thing. I think sometimes we really lose the appreciation, like you mentioned, for even little things behind the scenes or what it takes sometimes to do, you know, customer service, what it takes to have the knowledge of the store, that sort of thing. I, I don't know if that's a weird thing to think about, Nick, but I was just kind of like, taking it back. It's like, we go through our lives. We go to, you know, we go to from Home Depot to Jimmy John's to wherever the heck it is. And sometimes I think we don't appreciate, you know, what people put in to make the product that you're seeing happen. And, you know, you don't give it a second thought. So I don't know, is it, is it appropriate to say thank you to everybody who's especially doing those blue collar jobs that really doesn't get a lot of appreciation for how hard or how intricate some of those jobs are. Like for me, this is the first time I've ever worked a register or a till before, you know, I've worked maintenance for 11 years. So for me, that was a new experience. I'm tech savvy and I'm getting it down, but like the register shut down <laughs> and then closed the drawer on us last week when we had five people in line. So it's like, you know, I think there's something to be said for when you go to the grocery store and somebody rings you out fast, puts the groceries in the right bag, things like that, that you don't think about that. I don't know. It's kind of a, do you have anything to add on this or are you, are you, are you losing? Am I losing you here? <laughs> well, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to look for an opportunity to actually jump in. Okay. So <laughs> you, you just kept going, dude. I'm not just going to well, cut you off. So yeah, your face, your face was kind of like, what is this kid talking about? <laughs> okay. Well, it felt like you were going to end it three different times and you just kept going. So, um, but we'll, we'll see you and talk about like some of those, you know, you call it the, you know, like super target at Walmart. Right. Um, you know, they have an, like a, they almost have their own second shift essentially, right? Where you have, you know, the people, I would say Target probably is more appropriate because uh, Walmart, most of them actually don't close. Most of them are 24 hour, but for Target, they do close at 10. And then you basically switch out so many number of people under there, essentially from 10 to six o'clock in the morning, just restocking. And mind you, I used to work for Target when I was 16 years old. And, you know, for Target, it's not just restocking the shelves at Target, it's facing, it's making everything look really, really good in the shelves. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many products I have on the shorts, but I know it's not, a, it's not a few, it's a lot. So, um, you know, we, you, I think it, again, it, it's those out of sight, out of mind things that, you know, once you actually take the time to sit down and think about, how it actually gets there or oh, how does it, you know, they make it look that pretty. It, it's always a human being that's making those things happen. And, uh, you know, whether you want to have a conversation, if it's difficult or not, someone's else to do a job. And, you know, again, it's, you know, appreciating that, you know, there's a, there's a purpose for everything that we do. So. Yeah, I definitely agree. And it's, it's one of those things that like, you know, some people do jobs that like, I would never, I would never do that job. Not because I hate the job or that I don't want to do the job. It's just, that's not my skill set. That's not my forte. And other people, that's that's their prime. That's their element. There's some people that that's what they do. That's their job. So um, kind of cool that I was just thinking about that last week, having an appreciation for for the fact that, you know, we have so we hear so many great stories from so many different people uh, that interact with this show. And some of them come from very unique places and uh, do a lot of cool things. So moving on uh, to kind of the more main bulk of the show, if you will, we'll start with our trivia question here. We had a winner for the third round of season two of trivia. And it was actually Tanner Heath finally setting his alarm and getting on the board for this win here. But the question did read, there have been 42 different numbers worn by St. Cloud State women's hockey players since the program ramped up at the turn of 1999. 
Interestingly, how many current players are the first player in program history to wear their current number? Nick, do you have any idea? What no, but I'm just going to, no, I'm going to take a stab at it. Let's say three. We had, we had a, we had a lot of people that I think kind of took a stab at it. Um, I'm glad that you kind of mentioned that um, because it was one of those that I, uh, it's almost like if you pay attention to like the trivia question set up similar to like in nursing school, if you learn how the NCLEX works, if you learn how the test is formatted, uh, you could have just sat there and guessed a bunch of numbers and probably gotten this one right. So hint, hint for, uh, for one of those questions. But Tinner Heath got it right uh, for his first win of season two. Five current St. Cloud State women's hockey players are the first in program history to wear their respective digits. Nick, do you think you can name any of them? No. No. <laughs> Goaltender Emma Paluzny, 32. That one kind of surprised me a little bit. She's the first one to wear that number. Uh, Minot, North Dakota native defenseman Olivia Hansen, 44. Uh, Yanina Newland, 81. Forward Claire Hickey at 82. And Olivia Savar, 91. All first-time wearers of their respective numbers. That one kind of surprised me a little bit going through going through that and seeing that little statistic there. But, you know, when you – when you uh, with Newland, Savar, and Hansen, those – now that you say them out loud, it's like, okay, those are higher numbers. But uh, like you said, uh, 44 and 32, uh, those a little bit more surprising, like you said, because 32 is usually a pretty common, you know, popular goaltender, hashtag Nick Backstrom. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I agree. It, it was kind of a weird, I mean, 44, I think 44 is a little weird just because it's a weird number. You know, it's not really a hockey like number S 91 surprised me a little bit. I thought maybe you'd have a couple that were up in the nineties, but actually it's funny. So the last three or four that I, that I mentioned, I think it was 40, there was a 47 in there, but after that, I think it was just 81, 82 and 91 that were the next three numbers. So, I mean, you really haven't seen a lot of high numbers, which I kind of like that in a high, I mean, I wore 91 in college, but I like the low numbers. I like the kind of the quintessential one through 35, if you will, or something like that. I've always liked that, but that, that's just me. Um, but nonetheless, uh, congratulations to our winner, Tinner Heath. Um, and that also means that we also are having a women's hockey alumni guest coming on the show, recording with us tomorrow. Uh, Hannah Brout, Hannah Prow, um, is coming on the show and uh, potentially a second guest. We haven't quite confirmed that yet, but for sure, Hannah is going to be joining us tomorrow night. So we're really excited about that one. And uh, Nick, we're really excited about another piece of this as well. This was actually your brainchild. And I'm really, really excited about this because it's a, it's a cool idea here. Um, we are announcing a plan for basically the next nine or 10 weeks of the show here. I, and we are going to start this starting next Sunday here. And that is going to be that uh, for the first seven weeks, we're going to take a look at every single NCHC team, one team a week and preview what the Huskies have to look forward to against these teams. Week number eight will contain the non-conference schedule talking about who's who the Huskies are going to be playing. That's not in the NCHC. And week number nine, we'll finish off with previewing our own St. Cloud State hockey team. Nick, what is the order that we are going to be previewing groups one through seven or weeks one through seven of this, this project here? It's going to be uh, from the, uh, you could say the, the standings order. So it's going to be in reverse. So we'll start with uh, Colorado College. We'll work our way up. Uh, obviously, I think to North Dakota, I believe, would be the last one. And I think, uh, well, of course, anytime we can put North Dakota last in any list is always a good thing. So that's <laughs> no problem. But uh, essentially, what, what are we going to talk about, Noah? Certainly, we're going to talk about some key departures, whether it's from graduation or from early signings. We're going to uh, discuss some of the incoming uh, folks, whether it be via the transfer portal or also with incoming freshmen. Um, you know, 
has there been a coaching change or anything like that? And just sort of, you know, kind of gather where this, where we think this team is going to be as far as the NCAA conference is concerned. And like you said, also try to figure out, you know, what the Huskies, as you mentioned, what's that, um, what's that game going to be looking like against them coming up throughout the season. So I think uh, um, each team deserves its own week because it'll be a nice deep dive. And I think uh, for Huskies fans, and I think also for NCAA hockey fans will enjoy these just because I think, you know, it, it, with the off season, uh, you know, we've covered the Huskies extensively. And I think at the end of it, you know, there's a lot of other student athletes out there in the conference that deserve, uh, there's some recognition, deserve some praise. And I think we, we need to try to expand our, our, our listenership a little bit for the NCHC conference is a great way to do it. Yeah. And I'm excited to like, I mean, like you said, we love talking about the Huskies. It's kind of fun to talk a little bit deeper about other teams sometimes a little bit too, and just talk about uh, kind of the different nuances that go along with those teams. But speaking of in-depth discussion here, Nick, our Minnesota Wild, like you mentioned here today on Sunday, do start their series against the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, depending on when you listen to this show, they could already be down 3 nothing in the series or who, who the heck knows <laughs> at this particular junction here. So, Nick, first, before they actually play here on Sunday, I want to get your prediction. Uh, where do the Minnesota Wild ultimately end up and do they get through this first round? You know, this is a matchup Minnesota Wild fans um, wanted. They do not want Colorado. Um, and there's no question that this matchup is much better for the hands of Minnesota. When you t- can take points in seven of eight games against the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, that's pretty good. And they've had really good success regular season uh, with this. Now, the playoffs are a whole different avenue. Uh, of course, Minnesota and Vegas have never faced each other in the postseason before. So this will be a first of both squads. Uh, but... A couple of intriguing notes here, Noah. Uh, number one, you have, I think, what could be a, you know, obviously the Vegas Golden Knights won the Jennings Trophy. For those who don't know that, that is for the team that essentially has the best goaltending statistics uh, in the league for the regular season. Um, I think that Mark Arndt Flair could be a very serious candidate for the Vesna Award. Um, so you've got some goaltending on one side. Uh, Minnesota has got for once in a very long time, <laughs> let me check that, once ever, they have... I think a top nine that can score um, and their fourth liner can, you know, contribute, but I, I just like the way that the fourth line plays as far as being that quintessential shutdown slash four checking kind of grind down line. I think this team has got some balance. I think Minnesota could surprise some teams. And I do think this series, uh, just the way the history of these teams has gone, a lot of these games, if I remember correctly, is that five or six out of the eight games were decided by one goal this regular season. And so I think that trend will continue. I think this, uh, this first round series is poised to go six or seven games. And I'm actually going to pick an upset here, Noah. I do think Minnesota can upset Vegas in seven games. Um, and I do think, you know, and this is not a wild fan of me talking. I do legitimately think this team has a shot to upset Vegas here in the first round. And I do think the matchup uh, does prove it that way. Yeah. I'm excited to, uh, to jump into this one too. I think the other thing that Minnesota wild have this year, that they really haven't, I don't want to say they haven't had in forever, but they haven't had in a long time. They have a, a true superstar, a true young superstar in the making here. Um, that should be exciting to watch. I'm really intrigued to watch. We're, t- of course, talking about Kirill Kaprizov. I'm excited to see how he handles the pressure, how he handles uh, his first NHL playoffs and, you know, that that time and space and that open ice kind of narrowing and shrinking, if you will. Um, I actually like that pick as well. I'm actually going to go Minnesota in six on this one. 
Uh, although the finish of the season left something to be desired. I think it left a sour taste in our mouths, but you hope that the response is appropriate. They were missing five key players in the lineup uh, against St. Louis the other night, which is no excuse for blowing a three goal lead, but I mean, it is something. Um, I mean, St. Louis did score three power play goals and you have obviously two of your best penalty killers out of the lineup in, in that game. But nonetheless, I think Minnesota in six. I also think Nick, I think St. Louis comes out of, I mean, we're just going to take a look, I think here, maybe at this particular bracket here, since it involves a wild, I think St. Louis comes out of not only their first round match against Colorado. I think St. Louis um, is all over Minnesota as well. I think St. Louis uh, is actually going to make it to the conference final. Uh, what do you think? I don't think so. Um, now to your point, St. Louis is playing some really good hockey right now. Um, it's funny under Craig Berube, this team starts off, kind of slow through the regular season. Then for whatever reason, when the, you know, the playoffs inch closer, this team just finds a way to click and they just turn it on. Um, we saw that. And again, I think Minnesota for no question, they did not want to face uh, St. Louis. They didn't have to. I think that was uh, mathematically set quite a while ago, but I also know you didn't want to face Colorado either, but speaking of Colorado and St. Louis, that's not going to be an easy series. I think that also have, can go six or seven games and St. Louis uh, to me, that key, it's, it sounds cliche, but the key is going to be Jordan Bennington in, in that series. Uh, Jordan Bennington can be a very good goaltender when he's on his game. Uh, but lately, what St. Louis has done has made his life very, very easy, which has been very, very good. Uh, for Colorado, again, you talk about McKinnon, McCarr, Landeskog, uh, just to name a few, Rantanen. Um, I do think that Colorado has got some extreme talent. The one question mark I have for Colorado is what does their depth scoring do? I think that is what's hurt them in playoff runs in the past is if you can shut down those big stars like McKinnon, Landeskog, uh, Ranton, to just name a few, they seem to struggle a little bit. And then it comes down to goaltending. So uh, that one's a toss up to me. Um, I, I think, I still think Colorado comes out of that. And uh, if, I'm following my picks. It's going to be Colorado, Minnesota. Colorado has unfortunately uh, uh, put a leash around Minnesota Wilds' neck and has been controlling them all season long. So I think it is Colorado that comes out of the Honda West Division as part of the final four that go to the deeper runs of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, I think it's safe to say. I mean, we love our Minnesota Wild. I think we're kind of picking who is ever in the other half of that bracket to, to come out of that one. The one reason I like St. Louis, and it's funny, uh, the game changes and evolves, right? Um, I think back to when the Los Angeles Kings won their two Stanley Cups. I mean, that was a hard, heavy physical style. And then you look at the Pittsburgh Penguins and they won their two Stanley Cups. You start to see more of that speed and skill-based game. And then St. Louis came back in 2019 and won a cup with a good mix of speed and skill, but also that heavy, hard physical nature. And they really haven't changed their MO from that. And that's the one reason I like St. Louis over Colorado, simply because with teams that are high-flying offenses like Colorado that, you know, I don't want to say that Colorado is top six heavy, but I don't think it's unfair to say that where they kind of rely a little bit on that top six. I think St. Louis, if they can do a good job of slowing the game down, keeping that pace, you know, slower and more physical, I think that's where they start to give Colorado a little bit of fits. And like you mentioned, if you can keep, you know, high scoring players off the board for a couple games in that series, it really can change the tide um, because for, for whatever reason, I think that St. Louis has a little bit more balanced depth as far as scoring is concerned. But that, like you mentioned, that one, it's probably going to go seven games. It probably could go 85 games. I mean, that's just, it's just been an absolute war between these two teams over the past five years or so. So I'm excited about that one. So you've got Colorado uh, punching their ticket in that conference to the conference final. Uh, I've got St. Louis. That's all right. Um, why don't we take a look, Nick, uh, before maybe we come back to the Minnesota wild here, maybe take a look at the other brackets. So you have the bracket pulled up. Um, 
for the Stanley Cup playoffs. Otherwise, I can read them off here. Um, it's read them off. Okay, it's interesting to look um, um, back at our picks that we made with about a month left in the season. Uh, we actually, I had Colorado versus St. Louis and Vegas versus Minnesota. So I actually got something right for a change, Nick. How about that? Uh, you had Vegas and St. Louis and Colorado and Minnesota. So I think the question mark, your your scenario was one game away from happening. So um, yeah. pretty good look at that one. We'll move into the other half, the right-hand side of the bracket, which is weird to see <laughs> the Minnesota Wild on the right-hand side of a Stanley Cup playoff bracket but nonetheless we've got pittsburgh new york washington and boston provided that my bracket is serving me correctly here uh, i've got uh pittsburgh in the one spot new york in the four spot washington in two boston in three um i had washington the islanders pittsburgh and boston i was off on that one uh you were right on the money nick you had all the teams correctly picked so who comes out of that ultimately into that conference final pittsburgh the, the islanders the capitals and the Bruins. So I have uh, Pittsburgh um, over the Islanders. Um, okay. I just, to me, yeah, Barry Trotz is a hell of a coach. I just, for whatever reason, without Anders Lee in the lineup for the Islanders, they have just not been the same team. Um, to me, defensively, too, they haven't been their Trotz-ist structure, as I've seen in years past. <laughs> yes, that's a word. Look it up. No, I'm totally kidding. Um, but I do. I just think Pittsburgh just playing some damn good hockey right now. I just, I, I don't know if New York Islanders just has – even with even if they play a solid defensive game, I just don't know if they have enough firepower to answer uh, what Pittsburgh is doing right now. I think Pittsburgh's got that series. Um, and then Boston and Washington, obviously Washington took uh, game one in overtime, but that was close. Um, I'm still going to pick the Capitals in that one for a Pens-Caps rematch um, in that Pens one because, because why not? It seems to always happen, especially in round two. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go with that. And I do feel... After that, it's going to be Pittsburgh again, uh, ending Alex Ovechkin's season early um, and giving him the golf clubs uh, here at the end of May. I tell you what, Nick, uh, Alex Ovechkin almost ended Alex Ovechkin's season early. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. you know, and that's the one thing. Gosh, I hope he gets that scoring title. But I tell you what, when you miss, you know, it's funny when you miss, you know, a handful of games here and there. I mean, Ovechkin has been, stayed relatively healthy. That's going to be the question mark. I, I, I guess as before we move on to the next, or before I give my picks here, as you have the Pittsburgh Penguins making the conference final, uh, do you think Alex Ovechkin breaks that scoring record? Do you think he stays healthy enough? It's it's a question because, like you said, he has remained – uh, you hate to use the word surprisingly, but in hockey, you know, it's like if you can dodge that many bullets, you know, you you are lucky. Um, and, you know, the question is, can if he stays healthy to me, I think he does. I think he has a shot at it. Question is, you know, with him getting up in age and, you know, we don't know if there's anything that's nagging or anything else. And, you know, of course, if someone comes down and, you know, lowers your shoulder, it gets you in the head and, you know, puts you off for a few weeks or months yeah. because of a concussion, uh, that can halt that pretty quickly. So if he can stay healthy, I think he's got a shot, but that's going to be the number one key for him is to stay on the ice. Yeah, it makes me think back to Sidney Crosby. I mean, when he missed pretty much a year and a half of his time, you hope nothing like that ever happens. But should be a good one. All right, four, two really good series. Is, well, really, four really good series is on this right-hand side of the bracket here. Pretty exciting. Um, yeah, I like your pick with Washington there. I, I, I think Boston, um, the only thing that I think might actually – um, be a catalyst for the Bruins, to be honest with you, is actually the emergence of Taylor Hall. He's looked really good in a Boston sweater. Yes, um, and again, there's a guy who's been hungry to get to that playoff dance for a long time. So you never know if he could be the guy that uh, could be that catalyst there. But I like Washington. You've got a little bit more of a veteran group, a little more composed group. Although I will say the goaltender injury last night might change things a little bit here. 
Yeah. Um, so um, I know we have kind of a slightly biased bracket here with Washington going up in game number one, but nonetheless, I like your Pittsburgh pick as well. Um, I, I'm in on that one. I think uh, Barry Trotz, uh, his defensive structure is really nice, but the Penguins, unfortunately for Minnesota Wild fans in that first round draft pick this year, really shoved that one back in our faces, uh, playing some really, really great hockey at this time of year. However, I think the Washington Capitals come out of Pens versus Caps this year i think it's i think it's washington's uh time once again i i don't know i just i have some a feeling about this team that i really can't explain and that's my expert analysis nick so <laughs> so we're, we're gonna we're gonna move on to the other side of the bracket here so on that on that note we've got washington st louis and that gosh how weird is that to see that in a, a conference final um but we'll move on to the other side of the bracket nick do you want to start in the north or do you want to start in the central we'll start central all right. Sounds like a plan to me. We've got Carolina facing off against Nashville. I think we're both going to pick the same team in that one. And then Florida and Tampa Bay. That one is going to be one heck of a matchup. So who do you, who, who do you got coming out of that bracket there? This one's tough because now with Tampa, who have not looked sharp, they're getting both Kucherov and Stamkos back uh, right now. So that <laughs> that's a wild card. <laughs> However, Florida, to me, I, I like how Florida is right now. I like how they play. And despite, there's no question that when you get players of that caliber in Kucherov and Sankos back in your life, that does change things. Question is how quickly can they get to game speed? Uh, but Florida has an X factor. Uh, was it, uh, is it, uh, it's Drieger, right? Is the yeah, rookie Drieger. goaltender? Yeah. Drieger. Uh, to me, he's a guy, a man in a mission. He's quite literally stolen, in my opinion, the uh, the starting goaltender position from Sergei Bobrovsky. Not uh, an easy and, thing to do. <laughs> no, not an easy thing to do. And, uh, you know, if I'm the Florida Panthers, uh, how about some buyer's remorse, you know, in that, in that oh, regards? Oh, yeah. my goodness gracious. Because his first year was not great. And then you have this rookie goaltender come in, maybe thought this is, we at least get a solid backup, and now things have kind of flipped on them. I, I like Florida's balance, and I do think that they do, especially what they hang over effect with Stanley Cup winners in the past. It's kind of a historical trend. I do think Florida comes out of that. Um, so I have Florida out of Tampa Bay. And then, of course, Carolina. Um, I just think they're going to be way too much for Nashville, despite yep. that Nashville is one of the hottest teams going into the playoffs. I just don't think they have enough firepower. And the Carolina team, man, that is a fun team to watch. Oh, right yeah. now. They're good. Holy cow. Up and down the lineup. They're just solid right now. Yeah, I honestly, this might sound. I know they already have a Stanley Cup. I I'm always rooting for Carolina. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I always want them to want them to win things. I've got a question. A bunch okay, of go. jerks. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag storm surge. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've got a question for you. Speaking yes. of the Florida and Tampa Bay series, I got I got Carolina and Florida. Um, I got both those teams coming out. We actually match on that one as well. Um. They were talking about obviously Steven Stamkos returns. Stamkos played the majority of the year was hurt for like the last seven games or so. And now is making his return. Um, maybe he was ready to make his return maybe about a week ago, but I would imagine Tampa Bay, maybe even though they probably want to get him up to speed, maybe they were just resting him, taking him slow, making sure he was ready for the postseason. A lot of people have been really upset, Nick, about uh, the cap situation regarding long-term injury reserve uh, with Kucherov. Um, and the fact that, Oh, now he suddenly, comes back for the playoffs. Oh, he's suddenly ready. I don't have a problem with it. Uh, honestly, for, for, for two reasons. One, the CBA is what it is that they, they're well within their right to do that. If they believe their player is hurt. Um, not, not to say that it's, it's not really a loophole because the player has to be deemed that they're hurt. Um, secondly, 
At the beginning of the season, Tampa Bay mentioned that Kucherov was going to be out for the season and hopefully return for the playoffs. Um, does it seem a little bit fishy to you, or is it? are people overreacting? Do you feel bothered by the fact that Kucherov, one of Tampa Bay's best players, is suddenly back in the lineup, albeit really, really rusty? So there's a couple of ways you can look at this right now. You can look at it as um, the angle that is Tampa is, you know, uh, picking the loophole of the salary cap system. Um, well, they didn't write it, but they agreed to it. So that's part of it. But let's flip the cut. Let's flip the question. though. no. And I think this is the part that people forget. So do you really want the league to say, Oh, you're healthy. You have to play. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at the end of it, <clears throat> for those who are upset by Tampa's handling of Kucherov, you're not going to win that argument. At the end of the day, Tampa, if you want to say you play played it smart, sure. But again, if you're going to, to me, I look at like mini golf, right? If you have, you know, the whole like down a step, but there's three holes you can go into. One is a pipe that leads straight into the hole. You're going to pick that one versus the other ones you can't see, right? So you're going through the path of which is you didn't build it, but you can certainly pick it where you know that there's going to be success, right? Um, at the end of it, I don't have an issue with it. Um, and, I don't, and again, how do you, you, there's no way you can really address that. You can't force a player to play because all, because let's just say this, let's just say you activate them, right? You can send them down to the AHL conditioning stint. Now you're getting to where the league is forcing teams to make business decisions that the league really doesn't have a place to do so. Right. So at the end of it, Tampa just did what they were allowed to do and whether you agree with it or not, well, Sorry to, sorry to say this, but too freaking bad, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and at the end of it, like you said, Kucherov hasn't played game. Does that mean, you know, so yeah, he's going to play, but I would think he's going to take some time to adjust. Um, and let's not forget that, uh, you know, Noah, you are not being fourth players, uh, former players, I should say, is, you know, it's not just as simple as finding your own game. It's also about your linemates finding your game too, right? So at the end of it, you know, it's, it's going to take some time to figure each other out for this. So it's one of those weird things where I go back to the Minnesota of the Martin and the Martin Hansel trade where Chuck Fletcher, I think he, he overstepped. I think he did too much and he essentially <laughs> broke chemistry with guys that I don't think really needed to be touched, but he wanted that paper skill, right? Yeah. You have paper skill here in Kucherov. That's going to be added to the lineup, but how well does he fit in with the people that he's going to be with? Yeah. A lot of that core with Tampa has been there for a while, but again, it's how quickly they come together as a line, as a unit. And again, if you're shuffling players around, it could be actually worse for Tampa than it is could be more beneficial with the first couple of games. You go down two series, you know, two games against this Florida team. I think this Florida team is built and primed and has got the head coach to you know to sweep the leg and to put tampa down and out of the playoffs in the first round if they have that opportunity yeah and kucherov i mean he could be relegated to a bottom six role and get zero points you know in second final or could end up being a scratch he could re-aggravate his injury there's a lot of things that could happen the other thing is this too and the last thing i want to pause here before we're you know running a little short on time here got about four four or five minutes left here in this segment here but the one thing i want to mention is even if kucherov let's say he was healthy two weeks ago right? He still got him after being part of what was a very legitimate injury that kept him out for months. He has to get back into shape, back into game speed, right? If you're, if you've got him essentially in a red non-contact Jersey or that sort of thing and getting him back up to speed, 
would you activate him for two weeks just to put him on the practice squad to get him some reps? Or do you say, yeah, he's on long-term injured reserve and let him get back up to speed that way instead of having more salary cap implications? I mean, ask any team what they're going to do in that situation. If they're bringing a guy back up to speed, but he's not ready to play, why would you take him off the LTIR? Like, <laughs> it right. just it just doesn't make sense to me. But um, so I think people... Um, I get the frustration, but like you mentioned, I think it's a little bit overblown. So Carolina, Florida, Nick, who comes out of that one? This one's tough, but I, I do feel like a rod of Brendan Moore and the bunch of jerks are primed to come out of that conference. And I think that's going to be a seven game series. And that's going to be one fun series to watch. Isn't it weird that, and I say weird because it wasn't that long ago, I would say three years ago, you know, before Rod Brennamore took over and Carolina really started to kind of almost own their own identity a little bit. Um, that if we ever, if you would have told me three years ago that Carolina and Florida is going to be in a playoff series together, first we'd laugh and you go, that's not going to be intriguing. Now it actually <laughs> might be the, now it might be one of the most intriguing matchups that we've seen in some time out of the, you know, out of the East. And I actually am really looking forward to that matchup if it does come to fruition in Florida. For those who haven't watched it, they are a very fun team to watch. And a year after Joel Quenville comes in, obviously some trades that have really helped them. And speaking of trade, Sam Bennett, what an addition he has been to Florida yeah. uh, down there. He really revitalized uh, getting out of Calgary, which is a place he was definitely ready to come out of. Um, they're a fun team to watch. And I think if it's not this year, even next year now, um, after we get past the expansion draft and uh, a little bit more of a normal offseason, I think Florida is trending in the up direction where they might be a legitimate Stanley Cup contender in a year or two. I really do think that. I actually have Florida making the conference final. Um, I think that a rookie goaltender – is going to stand on his head and steal a series for the Florida Panthers. I think Florida's skill is going to match Carolina pound for pound, but I think Florida is going to have a sensational rookie campaign from their goaltender. Uh, and that's going to propel them into the conference final. That's my, that's my expert analysis. It's based on nothing, <laughs> but honestly, I, I think, I think this is Florida's time. I think they've been, they've been hungry. They've been chomping at the bit. They've been waiting a long, long time that organization to get back to a place like this, similar to what Carolina did you know, a couple of years ago uh, in their run as well. But I think Florida, I think Florida takes it. Um, and I think it's their first conference final in a long, long time. Moving up to Toronto, Montreal and Winnipeg versus Edmonton. Edmonton being that two seed in that matchup. Toronto, Montreal, Nick, who do you got? Toronto. Toronto, gets, to Tor Toronto gets their first, first round win. Toronto does what, get a first round win. Four? Is that right? Four? I think, yeah, I think yeah. so. Um no, Toronto, um, there's no question this rides on Jack Campbell right now. And I, you hate to say that, um, but their defense has been better. I think it's almost been overperforming. Um, Jack Campbell has been a very nice um, – I, I think he's uh, stepped up to the plate very well when uh, Anderson was out in injury. Um, I do think Jack Campbell is your game one starter. I think you have to ride the goaltender that has played, especially going into the playoffs. So Montreal, uh, they've also been playing well as of late. I just don't think they have enough in the tank to get past this Toronto team, which I think knows not only one that, you know, hey, this is going to be one hell of a matchup, but two, um, anything, if they fail out of this first round, there's going to be heads to be split. So I, I do think there's some internal pressure from Toronto to get this win. And I just think on paper, they match up much better against Montreal. I like that as well. I'm going Toronto as well. <clears throat> I'm also going Edmonton coming out of that series against Winnipeg. I think Edmonton finally, there's their star power is going to be too much to handle for the Winnipeg Jets. In my personal opinion, I think it's uh, I actually think this one's going to be a short series, oddly enough. What are your thoughts? 
I actually agree with you on that. Uh, when you go into the playoffs losing nine of 11 games, um, for wh- whatever reason, yeah, I had Winnipeg. I'll, I'll admit, I had Winnipeg in the second spot. Um, I did not think that Winnipeg was going to drop nine of 11 games. And uh, it, they're limping across the finish line. And uh, they just seem like a team with some injuries and some players not healthy. Um, and the, you hate to say the loss of Patrick Liney hurt them a ton. I don't think it's a, a significant one, but because uh, unfortunately he kind of, turned it into his own enemy in Winnipeg. And I think it was good that he got traded. Um, But at the end of it, he's, you know, when you bring in um, Pierre-Luc Dubois, he's not the same player. Um, And Winnipeg to me, just, they just don't have it. And I think Edmonton with McDavid, Drysaddle, Yamamoto, uh, Mike Smith has been a hell of a run with goal. And I think he knows this might be a last run of the cup uh, for his career. uh, Backstopping the Oilers. I I, I agree. I think Edmonton is going to do this. I do think that uh, Winnipeg is, uh, it's going to be a short series. Well, I think that's five games at max. Yeah. I had Toronto and Montreal and Winnipeg and Edmonton in our, our preview a month ago, I had Toronto going all the way to the conference final. I still have that, but I had Winnipeg winning that round. So that has changed. Nick, this is where your bracket looks a little tough here, buddy. Uh, Edmonton and Winnipeg, you had, and Winnipeg, like you mentioned, you had them going to the conference final. You had Toronto and Calgary. <laughs> Oof. Um, Toronto coming out of that one and Winnipeg going to the conference final. I know, I know. But you know what? I think Toronto makes the conference final. I think the, they punch their ticket over, over Edmonton. Um, okay, so you agree on that one as well. So we have our final four matchups here. I've got Toronto versus Florida, Washington versus St. Louis in my bracket. You, my friend here, if I can fill it in very, very quickly here. A lot of math going on here, Mr. Maxson. You have Toronto and Carolina matching up. And then Pittsburgh, oh. Pittsburgh and Colorado coming out of that one as well. So, Nick, we'll start with yours. We'll start in the the west, if you will. Uh, Pittsburgh and Colorado, uh, who comes out of that one? Holy cow. What is, if that ends up being the series, that is one hell of a series. Holy cow. Um, that one's tough. Um, I feel like, I know, again, when you I get feel to like the, I know what you're going to pick, honestly, I feel like you're going to pick Colorado. You know, it's tough. And here's why I say that <laughs> when you get to, so when you get to the third round, you got people, I mean, you're banged up, uh, especially if you've gone long, you know, a long search of the question is who do I think is built? better for a longer term run. And I do think it is Colorado. I really do. Um, you know, we, you forget that as Nathan McKinnon, uh, as skilled and as fast as he's also a tank. Um, he, he's a guy that's strong. Um, you've got, uh, Ranton and Landeskop too, who are, you know, big mooses that, uh, can put in, you know, the biscuit into the twine, but they also can hold their own. And I just think that they're just built better for a long term. um, let, uh, let, me make, let, let me make let me make sure on this as well um just because i'm looking i want to make sure because the, the bracket i'm looking at and i should actually be looking at the nhl.com bracket apologies i'm looking at sporting news you should i should be looking at it. i just want to make sure um i actually have the brackets flip nick and that's my apologies here um the, you're killing me smalls we're, we're right until the conference final <laughs> it would actually be it would actually be colorado versus toronto is actually the uh the matchup here so um that's my fault still colorado Still, okay. Still Colorado. Okay, Colorado. Yeah, I just uh, again uh, the big question mark on Toronto is their defense. Um, and again, if they do make it past one or two series, um, generally speaking, I, I just don't see Toronto as a Cinderella story. Um, I, I think they're a team that will feel inspired if they get past the first round. Keyword: if they should, um, but I just don't think that they have the uh, the depth 
especially in the D part to get past Colorado, which comes at them in waves. Um, again, the depth scoring there is going to be huge as it always is, especially when you get to this level of the playoffs. And I just think Toronto's got the edge in that one, unfortunately, or excuse me, Colorado, my apologies. Other side of the bracket, Carolina, Pittsburgh, who do you got? Holy hell. Um, geez, <laughs> another really good matchup. I'm going to go with a bunch of jerks. Yeah. I'm going to go with the, the storm surge. Um, you know, that's a seven game series written on its forehead easily. Um, but to me, Carolina, the way that Rod Grendemore has his team playing, it's a playoff style of hockey. Um, I, I like uh, Sebastian Ajo, like Marty Natchez. I, I love the defensive core of Carolina. Um, with Slavin, with Dougie Hamilton, they can score, but they can also defend really well. And you have uh, some goaltending uh, not question marks finally for once in Carolina. I just think that they're a team that's balanced from front to back. And I think it's going to be them in Colorado and what should be a very exciting Stanley cup final uh, between those two squads. I like that. So in my bracket, I've got Florida versus Washington. I think the Panthers come out of that one. I think the Panthers, Panthers, the Panthers make their first, I believe Stanley cup final since 1996, if I'm not mistaken there. Um, and they're going to punch their ticket right, against yeah against the winner of St. Louis in Toronto. I think Toronto comes out of that one, makes a Stanley cup final and angers everybody in the hockey world <laughs> besides Maple Leafs fans. I actually think Nick Toronto beats Florida in six games to win the Stanley cup final. I think Toronto gets their first Stanley cup since 43. Is that, does that sound right to you? No, not a, not close. 64. 60 something yeah same thing long time ago <laughs> 43 was the, 43 was the t the only time that uh a team has come back from 3-0 to win a stanley cup i believe yeah. that's what it was against detroit but nonetheless yeah. toronto in six games for me i think they are stanley cup champions how many games and uh who wins the stanley cup between colorado and carolina here so colorado wins the cup for me and it's in six games okay all right colorado in six games our brackets look vastly different if you will but that will do it for um a sort of more lengthier than usual segment here uh that we had in the regular portion of the show we're going to move into the extra ice session here we're going to talk a little bit minnesota wild a little bit buffalo sabers we're going to talk about uh our thoughts on jack eichel and also where does zach parisi and jack eichel end up within the next year or two you won't want to miss it stay tuned And welcome into the Extra Ice Session. Uh, happy to have you with us after hours, if you will, on the Huskies Warming House podcast for episode number 61. We're going to discuss a little bit here. Uh, first, maybe touching on Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel's kind of been the bigger story in the NHL as far as free agency slash not free agency, if you will. Talking about does he get traded with five years left on his deal, $10 million average annual value on his contract. Uh, and... I don't know if he wants out of Buffalo, but he's been disgruntled with the way things have been handled. And he's been playing for part of my French, a really shitty hockey team for, for quite a while, unfortunately with the Sabres there. Um, I don't know the honest answer to this question, Nick. I does, I know we're going to touch on the Minnesota wild piece and maybe how that could potentially happen for the wild. The wild are in the mix. I'd say there may be second or third tier teams in the mix as of now, um, simply because of salary cap implications, if anything, plus um, I think prospects as well. Um, in your opinion, if the wild don't make a move, does Jack Eichel go anywhere? And if so, where does he go? He's going somewhere. Um, okay. I, at the, and, and here's why I say that. So when you look at an organization that's finally broken apart at the seams, right? And I think that's where the Buffalo Sabres are at right now. 
you have to look beyond Jack Eichel's comments. Look about look what Sam Reinhardt said. Their leading point getter for the season, and he, as an RFA, did not commit to the Buffalo Sabers after the season. He was pretty much saying, "Yeah, I'm not sure what I want to do here." Um, to your thing about a crappy hockey team, you can't blame the players. It's a crappy organization. Um, the Pagulas have this all on their on their hands. To me, in my opinion, and Jack Eichel is frustrated that. You know, this is, he's essentially been rebuilding his entire career. And unfortunately, all he's seen is the tire spinning. There has been zero traction in Buffalo. Um, he is a player with his caliber and his talent absolutely deserves to be on a playoff type roster. The question and the biggest problem that hurts him is we have a pandemic that has crippled the league and the teams and their salary cap. You have a a fairly high contract value in $10 million with also a pretty good amount of turn that's got to be moved. But at the end of it, you're at a point where I think for Buffalo with the comments he's made and what you've done, I think you have to move him. Now, generally in this situation, he has to go to, you want to get him out of the conference. You don't want him to come back and hurt you in the early runs of the playoffs. You want the least amount of resistance as possible. So the only time you maybe want to face him is in the Stanley cup final which is, means usually you want to go Western Conference. Now, for the Minnesota Wild, are they in play? 100% they're in play. A um, couple of reasons why. A, Kirill Kaprizov, you need a bona fide center for him. You've got a center in Jack Eichel, and albeit a right-handed center, um, who is also very gifted, very skilled. Uh, number two, the Wild have an extra first-round pick. So for those people who are looking at Pittsburgh and saying, that's not a high draft pick, this is also the Buffalo Sabres front office. They would, you know, bite cheese for anything if they wanted to. So you've got... And that's your first round pick. Could you package both? I think both are in play, uh, especially in a draft with so many question marks as this. And I think for Buffalo, if you're going to hit the giant reset button, you want draft capital and you want young prospects. I think Minnesota's got a couple of those. And I think that there is a decent play um, for Jack Eichel in Minnesota. The question is, what about the dollars and cents, right? You're going to have to free up some cap space. And that goes to a different part of the conversation later, Noel. But I want to get your thoughts on Jack Eichel, if he moves, uh, if so, uh, where does he go? And uh, you know, or is, does he say in Buffalo? Does he does he uh, does he agree just to kind of you know hunker down for a couple more years? Yeah, my question mark. The, the interesting piece that you said is, does he go to a playoff team? I think if he goes to a playoff team, I uh, what playoff team has a good package of picks and prospects, and will they have to throw in some extra cheese for the Buffalo Sabers to maybe retain a, a a handful of salary on top of that as well to get that deal to happen? And if that deal happens how much are you more are you willing to give up for Jack Eichel? My question, that's just something to pause it. My, my question for this, for the Minnesota wild is twofold. One, do you feel comfortable giving up a, a prospect? I mean, is Marco Rossi on the table? Technically, I think Marco Rossi is definitely on the table. If you're talking about a trade like this, number two, how do you feel about your scouting report, not only on the ice, but off the ice for Jack Eichel? Jack Eichel, a great human being, he's been part of a losing culture for many, many years, unfortunately, and hasn't really gotten a chance to play uh, with players who have been of high caliber that have also been able to get towards playoff contention, if you will. It's hard to be stuck in that rut. I think some players handle it differently. Some players handle that transition very, very well. Like Ryan O'Reilly is a great example of that. Other players don't handle it so well. So um, that's my question, Mark, is that if you're the Minnesota Wild, at least, do you feel that do you feel that his character would be a good fit in that locker room? We definitely don't want a Martin Hansel 
um, XL edition, <laughs> if, if you will, as far as bringing, well, in the, bringing in the wrong player here. Um, the point that you're about to go to is the Zach Parisi piece, which I really love this idea because this is where I think even if you have quote unquote problems with Jack Eichel, I think it, it's worth the investment at this particular point, if, if that's the case. Um, but again, first of all, how do you feel about Jack Eichel's demeanor? I think it's fine, honestly. And here's why, because you can also walk into a building and there's a sign up that says enter. And if you do enter, this is what you agree to. I think the Minnesota wild culture has changed uh, in the last 12 to 14 months under Bill Garrett as also Dean Evison is um, that also leads right back to Zach Parisi. Again, a guy that I don't think any general manager or head coach had even had the balls to healthy scratch. And now he's going to be a healthy scratch again for the Stanley Cup playoff opening game here in just a couple of hours. Um, I think that Jack Eichel would welcome a change of scenery. And I think also he would benefit. And I think he's also a guy that from the few features I've seen off the ice, I think he is a guy that works hard. I think he's a guy that wants to be successful. I think where his head is that he's done all he can do to help the team achieve from his own one person, one teammate to contribute but he knows it takes 20 plus guys on a roster to make things turn around. It also starts from the top. And I think that's where uh, his biggest gripe is, is, is the ownership and the, the management and, and just how mishandled it's been for so long. Yeah. So to take a look at Jack Eichel's contract for people who are curious there, I don't, I don't see a no movement clause in there. So I don't think he has one. Am I, am I correct in that assumption, Nick? Cause you're the salary cap expert. I don't see one on cap friendly at least. So as far so as I they, see. cap friendly is a very, very good resource. I um, lied. You know, I lied. Uh, to me, I lied. I found it. I found it. <laughs> I found it. He has a, I was going to say, that would surprise me. It would surprise yeah, me if he didn't. That's where I was confused is that they don't list it for, um, for, for this piece here. So it says no movement clause 2022 onwards. So um, it doesn't have it listed for 2021. So that's correct. So that's right. So, so if you're the Sabres and you know, he's disgruntled, then you're going to try to get any sort of return. And mind you, tr- you know, return value is also important in this situation too. Um, if he's disgruntled and he's going to play a season, you know, his value drops. So to me, uh, I don't see his stock going higher because let's, let's be, let's be honest. Do we really expect the Buffalo Sabres to magically turn things around next season? No. Um, so I think at this point, the Buffalo Sabres are stuck in a position where you're probably looking at parting ways with what was supposed to be your secondary price Connor McDavid just a few years ago, but just trying now just to get anything of value back for him. Now the problem with something that you mentioned is I, I don't think there's going to be any way that Buffalo retains salary a, because the term is just way too long, way, way too long. If it's two years, I think fine. Um, but again, most of the time when you see retained salaries, it's either, uh, an expiring contract, you know, at the trade deadline uh, at most is because again, that's something you have to account for on your books. It's, it's almost like trading in a player too. Uh, if you're the Buffalo Sabres, as much as a player is gone, that's still cash space you have to account for. And for right, a lot of teams, including Buffalo, that money is tight right now. So I don't think there's going to be any retained salary in a transaction. And I don't and I, think at this point they care about that. It's just about getting the player out their books. And I've got another question here. And this is, this is for the fans. If you will, if you look at Jack Eichel's contract, right um, back in this current season as well. And then two seasons from now in 2022, 23, when that no movement clause kicks in, his base salary is actually 2.5 million with 7.5 in signing bonuses uh, for the, for the casual fan. Can you explain if you're a team that signs him, 
you know, or trades for him in that second year of the deal, does his cap hit towards the team only count for that 2.5 million or how does that work? Um, so that people understand where, where it fits in there. So at the end of it, yeah, when you talk about rules that are out there, um, you know, especially coming to contracts, um, I think what people have to understand is I think the Steven Stamkos one was, was the big one. Uh, where uh, they tried that, it didn't work, uh, where they're trying to use the signing bonus um, as a way to get away from salary. So, so let's take a look, right? So let's take a look at Zach Eichel's contract here. Uh, I, I apologize. I'm just trying to pull him up. Should be, you kind of threw this out of left field with me, so I do apologize. Yeah. So the, one, the one thing I will mention while you're pulling that up, Jack Eichel, for those who are wondering his point production since he's been in the league, uh, in Pretty 375 good. NHL games, 139 goals, 216 assists, 355 points. So almost a point per game player on a Buffalo Sabres team that has really, really struggled. Very, very much so. Um, where is his contract? Is it buried? Oh, it's and, it was buried. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So at the end of it, yeah, it's 10 years um, base salary, but total salary, right? So it always goes to the total salary. Um, is whether it's base or signing bonus is always goes to total salary. Because if you look at this 2021, 2022, guess what? It's a full $10 million salary. There's no signing bonus. The signing bonus is extra um, on top of that because you're always equaling to the base salary. So at, at the end of it, um, you know, the signing bonus is always part of it, but it's also to base salary. And a lot of it, and I think there's going to be some real changes coming up for the CBA as far as how can you structure signing bonuses as well. Because, yeah, the base salary doesn't affect the cap hit uh, for the player at all. Um, it, it adds up. So you're not saving anything with that as well. Sure. So the piece that you are going to go to here, Zach Parisi, <laughs> Sorry. A, a guy that is, uh, a guy that is uh, essentially scratched today as well. Uh, it's the first time in his career that he's had less than 20 points in a season. The next lowest that he had, even in a 48-game season in 2012, he had 38 points. He had 24 in 2017-18, that was his lowest career total in 42 games for the Wild. This year, only 18 points in 45 games. Um, I guess for a lot of people, that isn't normally terrible, but for a guy who's supposed to cost a lot of money and supposed to be an impact player on the lineup, uh, Ryan Suter, who has an identical contract, is pulling his weight in that deal. Zach Parise, unfortunately, is not at this uh, current and particular time. So, Nick, uh, does Zach Parise wave his no movement clause and expose himself to, to the Seattle Kraken, or does he entertain some way to get him moved out of Minnesota, creating room for the Jack Eichel situation? Both. Um, we've already seen that he did. Remember, there was that potential trade with the Islanders a couple of years ago. He's, he already has shown that he will, and I should say will and can wave the no movement clause. And Bill Garrett has said recently that at the end of the season, whether it's round one or – Heck, if they even raise the cup, right, he's going to ask every single player if they are willing to, to waive an a movement clause. Um, so he has that um, he has that decision to make. It's obviously, it is on him. Um, nobody can force him to do that. And uh, I think the breadcrumbs would leave a lot of Wild fans to think, why would I want to stay here? Because I'm not being played. Um, and for the Minnesota Wild, that's $7.5 million off of your books – if indeed you, if he goes either to Seattle, which I don't think he will, um, or if he goes to another team, you know, there's, there's always. And, and who, and who takes him? I think that's the better question. Who's willing to eat that. What is the package that Minnesota puts together in order to get him out of town? Should he want an exit? 
I'm not sure if there's a package there, honestly. I think it's a straight player for player trade um, at the end of it. Uh, again, the Islanders, what they were what they were asking for, I believe, was um, – I'm trying to think of the – Was it Andrew Ladd? It was Andrew Ladd. So it was salary for salary, but it was aging player for aging player, right? So you were just mixing and matching essentially a different senior for each player. Um, Andrew Ladd has uh, – uh, you know, we, we saw what happened with him. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think – and this is where it's tough because they would mark an end of an era for, for Minnesota wild history that was supposed to be a lot more pop and circumstance than it was. Um, and I hate to me, and this is the part I think a lot of fans might not understand is I don't blame Zach Parisi or Ryan Suter. I don't. And here's why. Take the money. <laughs> they, well, first of all, they, they got the contracts to set the tone they were the tone they were the cornerstone piece what chuck fletcher and i and i think chuck fletcher for the most part did a decent job as gm the one thing he did a really horrible job was is learning when to break up a core he never did it um i've talked about this before um when you had jason zucker charlie coyle mikhail grandland uh just you know a few of them i'm missing one other piece and i can't believe i'm, I'm missing the you say charlie coyle puzzle Charlie Coyle, I believe I did say Charlie Coyle. Um, no, I didn't actually. So thank you. Um, <laughs> he never broke that core up when they needed to. He kept trying to find the spare tire pieces to try to get everybody to click when it was very clear after four or five seasons that that core was not going to be the answer. And so what that did was you wasted the prime of Zach Parisi. You did. You wasted yeah. the prime of those the, years. The, the other, the other um, problem with Zach Parisi too is – um, and this is unfortunate in Minnesota would never have known this. Zach Breezy didn't know it for about three and a half years. He was playing with a back injury that got substantially worse. So you're missing another piece of it yep. just simply to injury as well. Nick, I, I want to ask this question. And I don't, I don't know if it needs to be asked, but just to, just to throw it out there. If you look back, Zach Parisi, uh in his, let me see, seven years with the devils points wise, 32, 62, 65, 94, 82, um, six, he was hurt that particular year and then 69 in his last year with the devils. If you were the Minnesota wild back in 2012 in the summer, do you sign that contract again? Yeah, absolutely. Same. Okay. I just just want to clarify that for people because hindsight's 2020. Right. No, here's the thing. Would I have the same term and the same dollar amount? Probably not, but I'm still signing Zach Parisi. I think that I think that's no question um, to that. Um, I, I think obviously there was some, some futures betting involved in that, but the problem is they didn't bet in the future when they finally got him here. Um, again, they kept a lot of the same pieces in place and that's what hurt the chances of the wild. Uh, 2015 was stanchion gate. If I recall, yeah. um, 20, yeah, that was 20, about, 2014. Um, but that's, but that's 2014. You're right. But that's yeah. the piece that you're talking about is essentially for those who wonder why the term was what it was, um, I think it was a little bit of an extra piece to make sure the players came to Minnesota and they were banking on the fact that in the prime years, Minnesota was going to make a good deep cup run. And then the tail end of the years, were going to kind of be, Oh, well, it was worth it because we won a Stanley cup in the end. So Correct. Uh, 100%. That's how it was structured. Um, and it didn't work that way. And um, it doesn't look like Zach Parisi's out of the way with Minnesota. I do think so. Question is, uh, you know, is Seattle, could it be sort of that veteran Seattle presence? The problem is with Zach, he, he's, he's from here. His family has roots here. I think that's a hard move for him, especially when he's got young kids. Um, 
I, I can't see that particular situation happening, at I, least in the I'm top so, of I'm, it, It's not impossible. Yeah. I'm it's not impossible, no. I'm but surprised I, that you think that just because, I mean, I know he wants to go to a cup contender. I understand that. Um, but I don't of, necessarily think a cup contender. I just right. think he wants out of Minnesota. But, but part of me thinks if you want out of Minnesota – one thing that's important for people to remember in an expansion draft, you're looking for one or two players that cost a lot of money to get you to the cap floor. And Zach Parisi might be that guy. The problem with this year, Noah, is that it's different than Vegas. And that is a lot of teams are trying to unload a salary because nobody has cap flexibility in this league. So um, he's not alone. If this is, without a pandemic striking the revenues of the NHL and forcing a flat cap for two years, you're not wrong. However, you're, you're missing that a lot of teams, including, I would say that the top 75% of the spenders of the league are under, I think $3 million in cap space. That's not a lot of wiggle room. And it's going to be like that for another couple of years. And so um, you're not wrong, but in terms of the full picture here, um, every team is going to be wanting to dump salaries. So it, 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 I, I don't think Seattle's going to be just a team that's going to get to the cap floor. I think with what's available, what's out there, they're a team that actually might be up there right next to the cap ceiling when it's all said and done with the players that they draft uh, in the expansion draft. Yeah. I wonder how that works too. I obviously I haven't looked at the stipulations. What happens if uh, the players offered <laughs> are more than, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like if, if the 31 they, teams they can't offer, do that, they can't. Okay. No. Cause it's not an offer. Again, when you protect players, forget what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm an idiot for, for those who are, are listening to us. Where I'm podcast. I was thinking about <laughs> best available players versus yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. About. It's been a tough morning. Yeah, this, 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 this isn't the entry draft here, Noah. No. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, Yikes. Yikes. But, oh boy. But, 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 but you do, but you do bring up a point though, where I think, you know, depending if this was a normal year, you know, for Seattle, you know, expansion team, you know, Vegas, they took it and they ran with it and they have us have been one of the most successful franchises from their start to now they can an incredible franchise fun to watch. And uh, uh, there are deep, they're a playoff contender this year um, for Seattle. They are, I, you hate to say, but when you look at Vegas four years removed, you're not looking at that and saying, Oh, good for them. You're saying, I want to match that, but maybe I can be better too. Um, so it's a little bit of fire too for Seattle. And um, especially going into what that success has led as far as community um, involvement for Vegas and a very non-traditional hockey market. Now, mind you, they've had some stipulate uh, some stipends of, uh, a different minor league hockey stuff. And that, so it's not like brand new, uh, of course, Seattle with the WHL, the Thunderbirds, you know, it's not new to the area, but again, for a professional team, you want to have success out of the gate. You know, that's important for revenue ticket sales for uh, merchandise sales. Uh, so they're looking, this as a really good opportunity to set that bar high right off the bat. And they've got for probably better than Vegas, a probably a plethora of good players that maybe would not have been available because of their cap space or because of other stipulations, they may have uh, a chance to, because again, I think you're going to see teams uh, that are going to be not protecting players just because they're hoping maybe they pluck cap from them. So it's a little bit different this year than it was for Vegas. And I think you're going to see a very interesting expansion draft here next month. Yeah. The other thing though, is that um, you do have teams though, that maybe um, they're going to be a little bit more savvy with it. Uh, one team, hopefully in particular, would be the Minnesota wild and <laughs> not having an Alex tuck 2.0 moment. Cause that one really burns. Um, but then again, the Minnesota Wild well might not look different, you know. Well, here's the thing. You, here's why the Alex Tank, the talk thing sucks, and what's what's you have to forget. 
Tuck was a player that when you look to beyond Alex Tuck in the prospect pool, there wasn't much behind him. And there wasn't much at the pro team level that was exciting. So that to me, the, and rightfully so, the fans looked at it and go, you gave away our present and our future with that. And they did because Vegas wanted Jonas Berdeen. And this was the price that Minnesota at the time wanted to pay to keep him. Now you're in a situation where you have Kaprizov who does not have to be protected because he's only a first-year pro. So he's exempt from having to be protected. Um, you've got goaltenders that – you know, you'll expose, but I don't think, I think it's going to be tell, but they expose. I don't think you're exposing Kakinen. Uh a player that you lose. If it's not going to kill them at this point. And, and yeah, I, the, the wild had more cards at the table to protect their roster right now. Than they did when Vegas expanded. So uh, to me, they're better insulated for this. Does that mean that any player they lose is going to suck? Yeah, of course, every team, but every team's in the same position. Right. And depending on how, you know, Seattle sees whether the rest of the league is, is going to make available and what they see could Minnesota skate by with, you know, maybe a Marcus Johansson or somebody else going sure. Could also be where, you know, Zach Parisi wages in a movement clause and he's plucked from the Alex Seattle expansion. We don't know. Uh, but I do feel like they're better suited to move on and not be as hurt from this expansion as they have in 2017. Yeah. Well, I still think or hope at least that, uh, that somebody waves that their new movement clause and Matt Dumba stays, but that's been a discussion that we've had for a long time that I think a lot of people disagree with me on. I love Matt Dumba's game. I understand he's somewhat of a defensive liability, but offensive defensemen like that don't grow on trees. That's my argument there. Uh, in, in the shorthand, if you will. But Nick, do we have anything else to add? Do you have something else to add on that? Yes. I'll just comment on that. Uh, I don't think Seattle wants to know that either. Um, so, you know, and that's the thing with Matt Dumba is that he's attractive where if you can find the right pairing with him, there's a reason why he's paired with Jonas Brodin. Yeah. He's a good skater and he can take care of defensively if Matt Dumba gets caught um, playing a little bit more, you know, too offensively. Um, if Seattle feels like they're going to have a player similar to say like a Jonas Brodeen where you can have that, you know, tandem of an offensive defenseman and that stay at home defensive defenseman that can skate in to kind of mask maybe some of those mistakes that Matt Dumba does. He's a very attractive piece. Um, and then, you know, so if it happens, that's what 6 million off the books. If I recall, you have 6 yeah. million off the books. Um, so now you're talking, you got to find $4 million if you're the Minnesota wild for a Jack Eichel trade. Um, so that's another piece of the puzzle that you, and, 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 and don't, and don't forget, just, you, you've got, you've got Marcus Johansson coming off the books. You've got Nick Bukestad on a one-year deal, Nick Benino on, on the last year of his deal. I mean, you have, I think a lot of those players come back. Honestly, I think Benino and Bukestad are back. Um, you know, Marcus Johansson means that kind of a question mark, but let's say what's, let's, let's go with these Minnesota Wildlands have never had this conversation before. Let's just say that met, it is Matt Dumba that is picked up by Seattle. And let's just say that Zach Breezy is so ticked off of the way that he wasn't played that he just says, just like Jack, Uncle, I want out of Minnesota. That's now $13 million off your books. You've got cap space and you have capital for prospects and you have two first round picks for Buffalo, they would be interested in. Now you have a situation where Minnesota might become the front runner for a trade in the Jack Eichel saga if indeed it does trend that way, which I think it does. Yeah, which is interesting. And also don't forget Buffalo uh, in a very odd spot. If it takes that long, they also have to protect Jack Eichel to move him. <laughs> if that makes sense as well. So right. a lot of, a lot of math, a lot of things going on here, but nonetheless, all I know, Nick, is the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to win the Stanley cup. So. <laughs> there's a lot of people in North of the border that's singing your praise. Um, I still think there's going to be a, a, a river of tears coming from Toronto. There, unfortunately, there's a lot of, there's um, a lot which, of people, which is, which is sad. 
there's a lot of people up north that are also cursing me at this particular moment too. So <laughs> very much so. So, uh, but yeah, with that, um, it's, I think as we go into the playoffs, there's a lot of great series. Um, I think, mm-hmm. I think every team that's in us is good. I think Minnesota going back to them just real briefly, I think they have a legitimate shot to be a dark horse team um, in this year's playoffs if, if they can play their hands correctly. Um, but what a treat this first round match is going to be in Vegas. I, I can't wait to see it. Um, I wish I could be at a game to watch it, especially in Vegas. That's going to be a very tough place to play. If I recall, they're at 50% capacity, I think, or will be at 50% here pretty soon. Um, mm-hmm. So that place is going to be rocking. Uh, and I'm just glad that we're actually able to have more of a normal playoff uh, this year as opposed to the, the pod or the bubble as it was uh, just last August. Can't believe yeah. it's almost been a year, Noah, since the – that's what – a, what a crazy thought about that was, huh? Yeah, the, the one thing that I think is also exciting too, this will probably be some of the most exciting conference finals we might potentially see in a long time because they're almost like first-round series as 2.0 potentially if you get the right matchups. And, Nick, for the first time in God knows how long, we could have two teams from the same – normal regular eastern or western conference went play each other for a stanley cup title which is intriguing as well something that uh you young folks and you old folks alike might never see again in the history of the national hockey league we'll have to see but nick uh, anything else to add as far as episode 61 is concerned i nope. think we've hit them all yeah we're just hanging out here so don't forget healthy scratch interview segment will come out on tuesday morning at 6 a.m as usual other than that we'll come back for episode number 62 we're going to start our deep dive into the NCHC opponents that the men's hockey team will face and hopefully be talking to some more Minnesota wild hockey at that particular point. Cause that means they're still alive in the playoffs. That will do it for episode number 61 of the healthiest, the Huskies warming house podcast, I should say. And we'll see you back in the den next time.